in singing to God, asking him to take our life and let it be his, let every part of it, we are saying, God, we belong to you. We want you to direct our lives. And that really has been Paul's focus in his letter to the Ephesians, especially in chapters 4 and 5, that he has been telling us how to walk, and that is how to live as Christians. And today in our passage, we get the last instance of that command, here is how you should walk or live as Christians. And in previous weeks, it has been do good, not evil, that this is right, this is wrong. But this week, he wants us to use wisdom to know what right we should do. For there are many options that would be considered right and good, but we only have so much time to do some of them. And so he commands us to use wisdom. So hear the word of the Lord as we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We'll be reading from chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we give thanks for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through it. And we pray, O oh God, that your spirit would fill us this day with the power of your word, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word today, and that you would mold and shape us, that you would take us as your own, and to mold us into the people you would have us to be, into your sons and daughters seeking to obey you and to walk wisely according to your will. Use me in spite of my own sins and weakness and foolishness, to proclaim your word and may what is true be heard and anything that is untrue to fall on deaf ears. We ask this to your glory and to the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul wants us thinking today. I know that sounds weird, but he wants us to think. Sometimes we have to try really hard to think. And so today, in the passage, the first thing he wants us to do is to get us thinking, to maybe think about things in ways we've not thought of them before. And then, once we start thinking, he wants to guide us in the right direction of thinking so we can know what are the right things and the wrong things. And so he starts by getting us thinking in verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. See, when Sarah asked the kids what was wise and unwise, guess what? They got all the right answers. If they had been put in those situations, no offense to your children, they, 
I know my kids might not have done the right thing, even if they had known the right thing. Paul wants us thinking carefully about how we live what is unwise versus wise. That word for carefully that he uses is the same word that Luke uses at the beginning of his gospel where Luke writes that he is writing to this man named Theophilus and that he has done a carefully researched, orderly account of the life of Jesus. And so when Paul tells us to think carefully about your life, he is saying, I want you thinking with the care and precision of a researcher about your life. Think about your life that way. Because doesn't our life deserve that kind of thought, that kind of careful consideration? Shouldn't we think carefully about how we live, about the choices we make, the priorities we have, the goals we set? In the previous verses, Paul was very concerned with right and wrong, but here he wants us thinking about the kind of right that we plan to do. How exactly are we going to live as children of light? Because at different ages for us and in different places and with different skill sets, we will follow God slightly differently. And yet all of them can be wise according to where God has placed us. So how can we best serve the Lord? That's what Paul wants us thinking in this passage. And we need that kind of reminder because we can fall into the trap of simply going through the motions every day of just doing it that way because, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's not just a problem in churches. That's a problem in individual lives where it's, well, we just kind of do that because that's, that's how we do things. It's always Taco Tuesday or whatever it may be. Sometimes we get caught up in what is next that we don't even stop to ask ourselves, is what's next the right thing to do? And so Paul commands us, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It sounds very scary, but in a sense, our days are numbered. They're limited. And we know that whether we carefully think about it, that we only have so much time in our lives. It is the most limited natural resource in the world. And that means any decision that we make to do something is also a decision not to do a whole lot of other things. That's called an opportunity cost. Paul is telling us to think carefully about how we are using our time. Are we using it wisely? Are we thinking in these terms, or do we just want to make it to the end of the day? Paul wants us to use wisdom. Now, I imagine that many of us struggle to think about our time in this way. We could all probably defend how we use our time, saying, I'm doing my best I'm trying. I don't have time to think about time. There's not enough time for that. And so we probably fall short of careful consideration of our lives. And to help prove that, I want to give two extreme examples of people who have deliberately said, I am going to think about my time in the most extreme way possible. The first example is a man named John Piper. He is a pastor or a retired pastor, I suppose, from a large Baptist church in Minneapolis. John Piper is famous for many things, but one of the oddest things is that John does not have a television in his house. He's not some cool hip cord cutter, I promise. He's an old guy. 
He's been doing this since the 80s because he realized that with all of his opportunities to speak, to pastor, to minister, to glorify God, he thought that TV was a waste of time, that nothing could be so important that he would sit in front of the TV and do that. He just didn't want it in his house to distract him because he said it was trivial. John took these ideas to an extreme, writing a book called Don't Waste Your Life that challenges Christians, especially young people, to really think, what are you doing with this limited time you have been given? Are you glorifying God the best you can? So he took an extreme measure, getting the TV out of the house. I assume many of us would find that extreme. We live in Pittsburgh, after all. The Steelers play on TV. Another example of this is Sam Hinkie. Sam Hinkie is the former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. That when Sam realized how much work he would have to do and the amount of decisions involved in his job, he wanted to essentially remove some of that stress, that mental stress from his life. And so one of the ways he did that is he bought 25 identical navy blue blazers. And so every morning he would wake up and he would wear the same thing because that was one less thing he had to spend time thinking about every day. That's extreme. Later in his life, Sam went and got a smartwatch, and it vibrates every hour. And when it vibrates, he stops and asks himself, what did I accomplish this last hour? Did I achieve the goals I set for myself? And then, very quickly, he thinks ahead to the coming hour and sets goals for what he wants to do the next hour. That is an extreme example of using your time well, and yet what I want us to hear is that they're thinking about it. They are thinking about the time they have been given. They are trying to optimize their time. Are we wisely evaluating our daily habits? Are we concerned, asking ourselves, am I mismanaging the time that God has given to me? Yes, we are permitted to do all sorts of things as Christians, but are we considering what is best? What is best not just for us, not just for our families, but for what God has called us to be? Do we, does, does our use of time accurately reflect the priorities that we profess to have? Paul is telling us, think carefully. Think carefully. Examine your walk. Now, having said all of this, kind of like last week, we need to qualify this because you can turn efficiency and time management into an idol and everything comes down to how efficiently we've used our time and we forget why we are using time efficiently anyway. And so I want to give three quick reminders uh, that prevent us from becoming slaves to efficiency. First, we are not required to only do great things. Wisdom can allow us to do ordinary things. That to make the best use of our time doesn't mean that all of us should seek to be the president of the United States or the CEO of a nonprofit or to make this huge impact on tons and tons of people. That may be true for some of us, but it's not required. That the daily parenting of a stay-at-home mom caring for children, raising them in the Lord, is valuable and it is good time spent. That caring for an aging parent or an ailing spouse is time well spent. 
that going to work and being salt and light in your workplace is time well spent. So wisdom does not require us to do great things. We can do good, simple, ordinary things. It's the first reminder. Second, we need rest. Making the best use of our time recognizes our physical limitations as human beings. God commands us to rest. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Sadly, many influential Christians trying to make the best use of their time have forgotten that rest is part of that. John Calvin, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, died at age 54. Not because they didn't have great medicine back then, but because he worked himself tirelessly. John Calvin regularly preached 10 times in 14 days. That did not include his teaching at the seminary. That did not include any councils he organized. That did not include visiting people. He was a busy man, so busy that he worked himself nearly to death. And so we need to wisely look at our time use, not just in short term, what's next, but long term. Because rest in the short term helps us in the long term. So we don't need to do great things. We need to rest. And third, we need to pray. I don't know about all of you, but sometimes when I'm sitting at my desk or in my house, and I know I have this to-do list that is somewhere around that long, and I start praying, I start thinking about all the things that I'm not doing while I'm praying all of the tasks that are not getting done. And prayer can feel unproductive. And yet God commands us to pray. He wants us to pray. It is our way of recognizing that we aren't just doers, that we aren't just peons for him to command to do things, but he wants a relationship with us. That Jesus modeled this that there were times when his disciples couldn't find him to do real ministry because he was busy praying to the Father, that making the best use of our time includes prayer. Now, hopefully these reminders keep us from getting too carried away or obsessed with efficiency and task completion, but they still require us to think carefully about how we walk, to take stock of our life. Am I wisely using my time? Do I even think about it? Maybe not every day, but every so often. Are there better things I could be doing with my time? Not for my sake, but for kingdom's sake, for the sake of others. Paul wants to get us thinking about this. And as he gets us thinking, he then starts guiding our thinking, trying to show us, here's how you know what's best. And he starts that in verse 17. Paul writes, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to know the will of the Lord because, well, he's the one that determines what's best. Knowing is only half the battle, though. We need to follow through with it. And so what Paul is telling us is we need self-control. He never uses the words self-control in here, but that idea, that concept permeates this passage. That instead of foolishly doing whatever it is we want, Paul urges Christians to control their lives by living them according to God's will. 
He wants us to understand the wisdom of self-control. And to do that, he provides a helpful example for us. In verse 18, he writes this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul does condemn drunkenness here. That's very clear, and yet it doesn't seem he's spending a lot of time talking about drunkenness. He understands, like, you guys know drunkenness is wrong. Okay, good. But he's using drunkenness as a picture of a lack of self-control. That when a person is drunk, their ability to think clearly and to behave in a self-controlled manner is severely hampered. The effect can be very serious. Driving while impaired can cause great harm to yourself as well as others. That there is no careful consideration in drunkenness, no wisdom for, huh, I wonder what the best thing I could do right now is. If you've met a drunk like that, I would like to meet that person. Paul highlights that drunkenness is a picture of a lack of self-control. And he contrasts that picture with being filled with the Holy Spirit. That in a way, being filled with the Holy Spirit is also being under the influence, but of a better spirit. That instead of dulling our mind's capacity, the Holy Spirit enhances our ability to make wise decisions, to be self-controlled. But how so? What is it like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, some people think of being filled with the Spirit in a very mystical sort of way, kind of like having a sixth sense that spiritually attunes that God is there telling us, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, like a, a Jiminy Cricket angel of sorts. But I don't think that's exactly what Scripture has in mind. Our New Testament reading from Colossians is almost identical to this passage we read here. And there, Paul says something slightly different. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In Ephesians, it's be filled with the Spirit, and in Colossians, it's be filled with the Word. And that makes a lot of sense, because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are always pictured as working together in Scripture. That the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Scriptures. That the Holy Spirit helps open our hearts and our minds to understand the Scriptures and to help us live in accordance with them. So Christian self-control is possible when the Spirit is helping us live wisely according to the Bible. And Paul wants to show us what that looks like. He is, he's like, you guys understand what drunkenness is, but do you understand what self-controlled living is, being filled with the Spirit? And so he gives a few examples. First, he says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I picture Christians walking around like we're in a musical, like Phantom of the Opera or Hamilton, and we're just sing-talking to one another out of the hymnal. We have to carry it around like, I need to tell you something, but how do I sing it? I don't think that's exactly what Paul means here. I think he's thinking of drinking songs, that at drunken parties people like to sing or at the events that were held in the Roman Empire where there would be drinking and singing. And he's saying, I want Christians singing different songs, songs that praise the Lord. Because our songs praise God. 
But songs do lots of other things. Songs teach. Songs encourage. Songs inspire. Songs stick with us. As I can attest, having the Power Rangers theme song in my head for over a month now, Paul wants us to use our voices for the word and not for vulgarity. He wants us singing the word, not confused with trivial matters. He wants the word in our mouths so that we are reminded of it and that when we share it, others are reminded too. That as repetitive as those vacation Bible school songs can get, they are sinking deep into the hearts and minds of the children who sing them the truths of the word of God. It is a good thing that those songs get stuck with those kids so that they can remember their message and share them with others. And so God wants us to be filled with song, songs of praise. So as one way Paul's saying, be filled with the Spirit, let the Spirit's songs fill you. Another example is giving thanks to God. Now surely we would contrast that with complaining about our circumstances, about bemoaning the ways the world is falling apart. And Paul says here, give thanks always and for everything. He sounds like the most glass half, or glass half full? Glass. Glass is wrong. Glass half full. I'll figure it out one of these days. Glass half full perspective peoples. That he is so optimistic. Just give thanks in everything. Okay. But he has a point. Is our time better spent complaining or about giving thanks and praising God? Which of those helps us to be drawn closer to God? And which of us leads them inward, worrying about what's gone wrong for us? He's saying, use your time more for praise instead of complaining. He says, that's an example of being filled with the Spirit. And he adds another example before he gets into some very specific things about marriage that we'll look at next week. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ that sometimes we just want things to go our way. Whether it's our to-do list. And we are so focused on our to-do list that we forget that there are other people around us that need things done too. And that maybe instead of narrowly focusing on what we feel we need to do, we can submit our time to the needs of others around us. Recognizing that at the top of all of our to-do lists is let other people know about Jesus. To advance the kingdom of God in this world. That all of our to-do lists start and should include something of that nature. Yes, there is run to the store, fix this, do that. I know all that's there. But we submit to one another saying, how can I use my time to help you instead of just myself? It may be our kids, it may be our spouse, it may be someone at work with us. How can I submit myself to help you? Paul exhorts us in that way, be filled with the Spirit, thinking of others. The overriding concern Paul has here, essentially, is to proactively consider what is best according to God's Word, instead of just going through life with what is natural or easy. I think what's most interesting about these verses is that Paul presents things as a this or that. 
He says, there is foolishness and drunkenness and lack of self-control. And there is the wisdom and wise use of time and being filled with the Spirit. He doesn't mention like a third way of someone who's doing pretty well, trying to use their time okay, respectfully, of course. It is either foolishness or wisdom. His message is that a life that is not carefully considered, a life where we are not thinking of what is best, is just a less extreme form of foolishness than being drunk. That's worrisome because I fail to use my time as best as I possibly could. That I can very easily go through life not considering very carefully why I do what it is I do. I may not spend my days getting hammered and making a fool of myself, but I can easily get intoxicated by other things. The allure of entertainment or social media, television, like Pastor John would say. I can get caught in serving the idol of what I think I need to do whether it's my to-do list or my Pinterest board, whatever it may be, that in our materialistic culture, it is easy to live for ourselves because that's what we're told to do. Live for yourself. Follow your heart's desire. But God calls us to seek his kingdom first, to live wisely according to his word, and to remember that we have been created by God to do good works that he has prepared for us. And so when I look at my time, and I look back on the last week, I can feel the crushing burden of failure because time ticks all the time. And if you're not using it wisely, it goes in the foolish column. And I can feel that crushing burden, and I imagine you can too. Not just that you failed yourself and failed the completion of your to-do list, but that you failed God who commands you to live wisely. And so when faced with that burden of failure, we all need to hear the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but he lived the perfect, wise life we should have lived. Because he is a model of self-control. He said it was his food to do the will of his Father. Think of the impact Jesus has made in the history of the world. And he had three years of public ministry. That's what he used. Three years of public ministry. Yes, it's kind of cheating. He's Jesus, the Son of God. I know. But that's not a lot of time. That the perfect life of wisdom and self-control that Jesus lived is offered to you in the gospel as a gift. And so God accepts us because of Jesus' righteousness and not our own time management. And that is glorious news for people who can be fools like you and me. And so let us spend our days praising and thanking Jesus for clothing us in his righteousness because that is an excellent use of our time. Praising the God who has saved us. And as we praise and as we give thanks, always and in everything for what Jesus has done, we will start to think more clearly, what can I do for this God who has saved me? What can I do for this God who has done so much for me? How can I wisely use my time for his glory, for his kingdom, and for his name? 
Christians, let us live this way, knowing that we are saved in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you that you have given us the gift of time. We thank you for letting us wake up this morning and keep going. Lord, we ask that you would take that, that you would take that time and that you would take our hearts and that you would help us to look at our time and how we can serve you, how we can best serve you and your kingdom. For each of us, that's going to be different, that we need wisdom to know what to do. So Spirit, fill us. Guide us according to your word that we would seek to honor you with our time with our words, with our choices. For we know that you have given us all the time in the world in eternity, that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ, and so we look forward to that time as we live this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.